travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody wang chung tonight. The movies. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks. That's great. You probably never run out of ice your whole life. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Stuck in the 80s, it's your old pal Spearsy. And Braddon. Hey, what the hell is music, Spearsy? It's Mel Brooks, rapping as King Louie. It's good to be the king. Don't worry, it'll all make sense soon after this week's interview with author Brian Abrams about his new book, You Talking to Me, The Definitive Guide to Iconic Movie Lines. You talking to me? You talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. About the 80s cruise. Join your stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs, Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024, which is coming at you like a freight train. Let me just tell you that right now. For a week long trip on board the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include Big Breath, 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, Animotion, Real Life, Escape Club, When in Rome, Tommy Two-Tone, and more. The 2024 cruise may be officially sold out right now, but you can still join the wait list. Go to www.the80scruise.com for more information. And tell them Steve sent ya. You don't understand. I could have had class... I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum. Which is what I am. Let's face it. Hey gang, pretty excited about this week's interview. It's with writer Brian Abrams. He just published a new book about iconic movie lines that starts you know, back in the 30s, moves all the way through the 80s and beyond. And it's not just a list of quotes. He's got some interesting stories behind each movie line. And that's kind of where the education begins. You... Find the line you love from the 80s and then boom. You know, oh, it was an improv line. Oh, it was it was a line that we kind of came up with at the last minute on the set. And uh, it's so it's it's a great education in the movies that you already think you know. Two things, Stephen Q. Spears. One, I hate you for getting this interview and not letting me do it, not that I have the time. Because as you well know, and as I have complained about many times, I had a girlfriend in college who accused me of living my life by movie quotes. And song lyrics. So this book, I may not have written it, but I am very excited to consume it, and I would have loved to chat with the guy. Also, I'm shocked that you were able to keep this conversation as short as you did, because I figure you, my good friend and fellow movie knucklehead, and him clearly has some passion for it. I figured that conversation would spin out long enough for it to reach live to Jupiter and back on Voyager 6 or whatever's out there now. It's funny you mentioned that about uh, 
about uh, your, your was it an ex girlfriend accusing you of that? Is that what you said? Yes, not my current girlfriend, <laughs> also known as my wife. Well, I, I asked that to Brian. I asked him about you know is is quoting movie lines a, a, a guy thing, and we, he and I have a conversation about that. And so that'll be interesting for everyone to hear. But you're right; it was a crazy conversation that lasted far beyond the recording time. I think he and I spent like an hour on the phone together. Uh, we talked for 20 minutes after the interview about Teen Wolf. So don't be surprised if there's a Teen Wolf episode soon with him on Curse it. Curse you. You talked about Teen Wolf? I love Teen Wolf. It's so stupid. It's delightful. And <laughs> fun fact, you may remember, Katie and I had our 40th birthday party at the bowling alley that they have in that movie. Oh, God. The name's Brad. It's probably Thank been 20 you. years. 20 years since I've seen it. I I can't quote any line other than the, the most obvious ones, you know. Give me a keg of beer. Uh, anyway, I don't want to give too much away. Um, I don't really want to tell you too much about the book because I want you to read it. I really think this is one of those that you want to pick up for yourself and you want to send a copy to a friend for the holidays. All I'm saying, Spearsy. If he doesn't talk about Roy Batty's final speech in Blade Runner, you can find yourself a new best friend. <laughs> no, no, relax. Blade Runner made the cut. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with writer Brian Abrams. Brian Abrams, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You have an amazingly diverse collection of works. Uh, you have oral histories of Die Hard, of Gawker, uh, Obama, David Letterman, even a book about the drunken tales of U.S. presidents. But now, now comes the brand new You Talking to Me, the definitive guide to iconic movie quotes. That's a diverse collection. I am, at, at the core, a film fanatic, no doubt about it. Um, and I came up through, you know, whatever you want to call my career in quotes in media publishing or in journalism since like the early aughts, um, you know, it was all through pop culture, celebrity film, TV. Um, but in the 2010s, as it became more apparent that society was collapsing and that monopoly powers were sort of creating this giant, <laughs> this giant, uh, uh, chasm between the haves and the have nots. I know this isn't a political podcast. I'm just saying it's really laid bare these days how rough things are. A lot of pop culture writers, reporters just found themselves ushered into the political space because without getting too deep, politics is in everything. In every movie you can point to, you can find the politics of a movie, even in Teen Wolf, which I'm sure we will discuss later. But um, it's it's totally true. But but uh, so that you know, that sort of sent me in that path. And and there were a few years there where, yeah, I covered things outside of Hollywood. But um, I think I speak for a lot of people that in the last few years, for those of us fortunate enough to say stay at home during COVID um, and after Trump got out of office, there was this moment of reprieve. Where we needed to check out. I think I think I speak for everybody, regardless of their partisanship. They're just burned out on politics, and it, that just sort of lined up for me for this project, and just to dive back into the thing I love. 
Uh, I love the beginning of this book. And I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to give too much of it away to people who I, I really want to, them to buy it and read it and discover so many of the surprises on their own. But um, you talk in the very beginning in the introduction about your brother and you mm-hmm. having an obsession with the 1987 movie Baby Boom, which <laughs> I love Baby Boom. Don't get me wrong. I mean, very underquoted movie of the 80s. But the fact that you guys seized on this this uncredited actor delivering, you know, as a waiter, delivering a line and having that sort of be the creative spark, you know, behind what drives this book. I, I just thought that was incredible. I love that you love the introduction because it, it is really close to me. And I, what I was getting at, um, what the introduction tries to talk about, right? So if it's this book and it's essentially a deep dive into hundreds of different lines that I deem iconic and it, it analyzes their origins and their meanings and their influence and uh, just gives you a sense of like how they ricocheted through the culture. Uh, but I, and I think that, you know, you can objectively point to uh, dozens of movie lines that regardless of your personal taste can say, yes, I understand that that line I've seen it, you know, uh, I've seen it in external situations where, you know, it has had a moment in culture, regardless of whether I love it or not. Right. I'm talking about, you know, you can say, uh, what's an example, you know, follow the money in all the president's men or even Wakanda forever. Right. Like you may not be, <laughs> you, you may not be a Marvel person, but you're, you're highly aware there is a story behind that line. Um, but regardless of how objective you can be to it, it just doesn't matter you know, it's all in the eye of the beholder. It all depends on your perception. And I guess on an extreme level, I pointed to just like how my brother and I would bounce back and forth with baby boom. And yes, there is this scene where it's this kind of a feat waiter played by this actor named Richard Menchenberg, who was also in um, Irreconcilable Differences, which was another sure. Charles Shire, Nancy Myers movie. So Charles Shire, Nancy Myers did Private Benjamin, Irreconcilable Differences, if I can pronounce that word. Baby Boom. There was a Baby Boom TV series. Uh, they may have done something else, but they eventually split up. But my brother and I were just like tickled by this waiter um, and the way he's just so sassy in this like very chic, trendy, 80s, yuppie Manhattan restaurant. Okay, the Montana lamb with the rocket leaf and goat cheese salad, and the lime grilled free range chicken with the pumpkin pasta and dandelion greens. I'm I'm glad you caught that. I'm glad you liked that. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I what 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 to me really uh, always catches my eye is when someone goes beyond the obvious. You know, uh, obviously I have a, a billion '80s quotes memorized in my head. And I, when I read Baby Boom, I'm like, oh, my God, he may have picked the one movie where I literally can't think of a, of a line at all. Do I love this movie? Absolutely. But it's it's just one of those crazy, like, you, you seized on this, you know, non-obvious thing. And I just, I really, I, for some reason, it's just like, you know, chef's kiss kind of thing. So <laughs> uh, you also see, you just kind of described what I think is so cool about this book is, it's one thing to kind of go and make a list of iconic movie lines, just like, you know, print it like the American Film Institute does. But the, the takeaway from your book is you've got the stories behind mm-hmm. so many of these great lines, some of which maybe I knew a, a, a part of, like, I'll bring up um, Blade Runner, for example. I mm-hmm. knew 
that Rutger Hauer had had improved some of his lines in his final speech. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of a lion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. I had forgotten that wasn't that successful of a movie that it it came out at a at a bad time where their ideal audience wasn't there it, it would become a movie that would become I, I would say easily one of the top ten sci fi movies of all time now or certainly probably the best in the eighties you know thanks to cable so it's just it's I'm curious as you did the research for this book what were the, some of the surprises that you found doing the research for the lines. I mean, not to give you like just a cop out answer, but like all of them, right? Like, I mean, you, I don't think there was like a single entry I wrote where I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no place like home. Got it. <laughs> like, like, like as much as like you and I might like in our heads know, I don't know, what's an example? You know, I know you are, but what am I? Or we all go a little mad sometimes from Psycho or take your pick. Um, they all, there was a freshness in my head to all of them. Um, but you, but I'll give you an answer and it's not an eighties movie, but no, it's fine. Like one that I just spent a lot of time on cause I was just fascinated with it. And it's just such a rich movie. Um, are you a fan of who's afraid of Virginia Wolf? The been forever Mike, since I've seen it, but so it's all, so it's always streaming on cable. It's from the sixties. Mike Nichols directed it. Uh, it was actually, it might've been his first yeah, it might have been his first Hollywood movie, actually, when he came from Broadway. But uh, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, and there is this line in it that Elizabeth Taylor, she's doing an impression of Betty Davis when she looks to her apartment and she goes, what a dump. But but she's she's the Betty Davis line that she's doing is from this 40s movie called Beyond the Forest. And if you look it up on YouTube, there's even a mashup on YouTube that shows the Betty and Liz line to get back to back. And Betty just kind of says it just flatly. She's just, what a dump. And the line was reused in other Betty Davis movies. Like Betty would, would self-reference herself with it, but it did not reach the heights until Liz Taylor did it. And then Betty Davis started imitating Liz Taylor when she was in her like twilight years and going on talk shows and hawking her memoirs and that sort of thing. Um, and it, that's just like, to me, like a fascinating, like, like how many years did that line span and take on different lives of its own? Um, uh, so you can imagine how you can just get lost in just a story like that alone. But yeah, personally, I mean, I think the movie that from that era that I would get lost on would be, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh you my know, God. Yeah. What draws you to the desert? It's clean. Yes. So. <laughs> 
I did try to do something on nothing is written, uh, but you know, sort of facing the scene when, uh, mm. God, what was the name of the guy? It seems like Gaston or something like that, where he has to go back and rescue him. It's this amazing scene, right? And Roger Ebert writes about him, like the speck in the desert at the top yeah, of the horizon. Great, great scene, classic movie. Um, uh, but yeah, I just, I had to cut so much. So yeah. Yeah. Didn't make it in. Um, that brings up an interesting question. What, were there some movies, especially from the eighties that you just at the very end of the editing process, you're like, I really, I really, really, really want to keep this in, but I just can't. Oh like, yeah. Which, which ones come to mind? Oh yeah. Uh, well the Pope of Greenwich village, mm. um, you know, when, when Eric Roberts is screaming, Charlie, they took my thumb. Right. Do <laughs> you remember that Charlie? And it, you know, there was a, there was a, a point when, I mean, even just before I got to the point of turning in a manuscript and showing my editor, I knew it was too long before even talking to him. So I had to like chop, 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 because also like the book is 336 pages. It's, it's got a little heft to it. It's nice, right? Like you can take time picking it up and down for a long time, but you don't want a 500 page book. I mean, I don't want to read it. I don't want to write it, you know? But so you had to you had to make hard calls. And um, there was this distinction I ended up having to figure out in my head, going to back to what I said about, like, how we can objectively point to, you know, lines that definitely have a life regardless of our fanhood. Um, I had to make the distinction between that and then just sometimes just like movies we know backwards and forwards and therefore we know all the lines from them. Like that's different, you know. Um, there are baby boom fan fan. That's the name of the movie, right? Baby boom. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say baby boomer. Uh, there are baby boom fans out there. I guarantee there's probably like a baby boom Facebook fan page of some sort. That would be kind of funny if it exists. Yeah. And, um, but like, that's not like that. That's not enough. And I talk about that in the introduction, like it just doesn't meet the criteria, but I want to point out how arbitrary it is. The things yeah. that we love and why they could, connect with us right sure uh over the weekend the daily beast which is one of my favorite websites by the way i i'm a subscriber i i read it three times a day they ran an excerpt from your new book uh, it was the part about mel brooks and mm -hmm. the stories behind his movie lines but i think it's interesting you've got a particularly interesting story about mel brooks and how you finally you actually got to talk to him oh my god yeah well um i uh when i was eight years old um, my parents were separating and I had coincidentally, my mom took me to the, the movie theater to see Spaceballs and it was as if, so I was like, so this is 1987, I'm like eight or nine, somewhere in there. Uh, I had not seen anything that funny before ever, right? Like, I guess we watched stuff, but like nothing connected with me on that level. And we got in the car and my mom could see I was just juiced from it. And I was obviously a huge Star Wars fan. If you were eight or nine years old in 1987, you are a Star Wars fan just because you exist on the planet. I mean, you know, that's probably like eight out of 10 people, right? Um, and she turned to me and she was like, oh, you need to see Blazing Saddles. And so then we just sort of went down the Mel Brooks rabbit hole and he was just the greatest. And I think that it's so... I, for some reason, my brother and I had our own phone line at that point, which was really like, that was unique. But I ran up the phone bill calling Beverly Hills, calling Brooks Films. He had, I guess, yeah, he still had his 20th Century Fox 
like like bungalow and uh i think he had it up until like the like 2010 or something um and or maybe even longer and i would just call every day hello may i please speak to mel brooks hello may i please speak to mel brooks hello may i please and the the assistant was finally like hey kid do you just want to make an appointment as and i'd never heard the word appointment before <laughs> and i was like yeah that's what i want an appointment and like sure enough so that might have been on like a wednesday he called my house on Friday uh, and like, I guess I kind of, my mom sat with me the day before and we wrote down questions to ask him. And um, I wrote about this uh, for a, for a zine called the lowbrow reader a few years ago. And it's on my website. If anyone wants to check it out, um, you can find it. But uh, that was so sweet. And you know what, when I wrote that for the lowbrow reader in 2017, somewhere around there, and I walked away from it. Um, I just assumed it was kind of, I didn't think too much about what it meant at the time. I just remember the feeling of like, oh, this is like a cute story of how I was like a kind of a odd and persistent kid, you know, and that turned into me being someone who, yeah, went on to perform or conduct these oral histories and track down screenwriters for a movie quotes book. So he, he was honing his skills early but i only recently realized it was actually about my dad like mel brooks was you know it's not like my dad left me you know we were still on good terms but in a divorce he's no longer in the house every day and mel brooks was this kind of sweet paternal jewish figure that i probably had a had a warmth i felt a warmth and i think that there was a little bit of a substitution game going on there i should tell my dad about that actually <laughs> you write that down while you can. Yeah. No, I was I was impressed with that. I also, as much as I just love Mel Brooks movies, I mean, Blazing Saddles. I'm trying to think if there's one more. If there's one movie of his that's more quotable than all the rest, I, I lean towards Blazing Saddles. But I also think about History of the World Part One, and then that's where I discovered something you found that I didn't know, and I thought I knew. I thought I had a pretty good wide knowledge of the eighties, but I didn't know there was a rap song called yeah. uh, it's good to be the King. And I, so yeah. I listened to it about five minutes before our conversation began. And I'm like, this is some nugget of the eighties that completely, completely escaped my attention to today. So, you know, kudos for finding that. My God. The first white man, Mel Brooks, to hit the uh, like the hip hop charts. True story. There was a white woman, I think, that did it the year before. But I, that's just so bizarre. To you, to you, is there a difference between an iconic movie line and an, and a movie cliche, like a trope in a movie? Right. I think the Need for Speed from Top Gun, or Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my, from from Wizard of Oz, or uh, maybe even uh, one or two of the lines from Fast Times at Ridgemont High that have just kind of, they almost exude a, a groan rather than a smile when you hear them because they're either overused <laughs> or they've been adopted, usurped too much by pop culture to the point where it's just like, ugh, stop. I mean, because I don't know like what I groan at and what you groan at, I guarantee will like 
some things will be the same. Some things may be different. Um, But when in when curating like the list of like lines that belong and lines to write about and why um, I did find myself running across lines that felt like, yes, I suppose like on Jeopardy, uh, they would be the answer of like, you know, the line that is attached to that movie when it first comes up. But that may not necessarily be the line that is like the driving, the driving force of the movie that could explain its themes and kind of unlock it for everybody. Um, and the the example that has been in my head, the best example, I think, is and it's not in the 80s. Forgive me. But not, hey, no, I, I'm, I'm yeah. diverse. Uh, 1968's Funny Girl starring Barbara Streisand. Um, so for anyone who knows this movie, the immediate line that generally comes to mind is when she stares in the mirror in her Brooklyn accent and goes, hello, gorgeous. Like that's the line that's in um, highlight reels for award shows and j- is just sort of this, uh, you know, it, it, it's just her being kind of sassy and, uh, it, it speaks a little bit to her character, but the line that I wrote about in the book was I'm a bagel on a plate full of onion rolls, which is a line she uses before going into the first uh, musical number because it truly, truly gets at the heart of who she is, who her character Fanny Bryce is. It defines her as this kind of quirky outsider whose talent and ambition gets her to the top. Um, and, and it also speaks to her queer fan base, which is, you know, she famously cultivated for years and years and years, which I think now for anyone under the age of 172, it may seem a little foreign to think of Barbara Streisand as, you know, a rebellious outsider. She's been Hollywood establishment for so long, but at one point she was that, and she did speak to a crowd that did not feel accepted. And so, uh, uh, that uh, there's just a profound connection that can be explained when unpacking that line. Are there movies overall, but, but I'll ask you also to, to confine your answer to the eighties at some point <laughs> um, that are just more quotable that, to the point where you're just like, man, I could just keep taking lines from this, taking lines from this, taking lines from this. And, and I could write, I could write 380 pages just on ghostbusters, just on top right. gun. I mean, it, are there what movies in your mind are those movies? Oh, I mean, you know, look, coming to America for my brother and me growing up. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, that's probably like if you had to sit us down and like like press mute on the the movie and just have us do all the characters. We could get we could do it. We yeah. could do it. I, I could uh, do it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just one you've seen over and over and over and it's just seeped into your head. It's just so funny. Um, and then I think Dirty Work with Norm MacDonald and Arthur Lang. Um, that That's one that like, yeah, I mean, if you truly, if I had to be like brutally honest with myself about like, oh, a book that's about like the lines that I absolutely have, you know, just <laughs> rotted my brain with and you know, Dirty Work would have like nine pages in the book, right? But uh, that's, I mean, that's just irresponsible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it also happens to us at a certain point in our lives that we absorb this stuff, too. I mean, and and I think that, and and I don't want to sound like old man who yells at cloud, but, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, um, like, 
and even in the early 90s, like the video store, it's really difficult to explain like how that was such like just a key piece of our upbringing that if you like there's a strange thing like you could go to the video store and rent fucking second sight with bronson pinchot and you're aware i know you're (laughs) aware like you know it's gonna be a stupid movie but it's a movie right so like the event of going home and watching a movie maybe you'll get something else too but like that's good enough that's cool and so i just think and I'm not like decrying today by saying that you can like turn on your TV and have all these streaming options and, you know, and and that you can go to TikTok and like just stay on there for hours. Like, cool, whatever you want to do. I'm just saying that back then, like the video store and the movies was just so central to our culture mm-hmm. that that in turn, that's how it come. There's a certain generation, I think, of Gen Xers that, that just absorbed all of it, right? I've always had this theory that guys – communicate in movie lines with each other and women just kind of watch this happen and shake their heads in disbelief. Am I, am I wrong? There are tons and tons of women out there who can quote movies back and forward. It's just that I think there is a certain attitude, a certain bluster that maybe we think of a certain guy and that's what it really is. Right. It's, it's, it's the reference bro. There's a certain, (laughs) you, 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 you can, detect a pride an unnecessary pride that's emanating off this person when he's like rattling off you know something from uh armed and dangerous with john candy and eugene levy or whatever it is right <laughs> yeah. like and or but like i mean i have a friend who is a woman and she can do you could have her on the show and she could talk bull durham and just recite every line from that like like wow. all all day so so i think that's what it is i think it's like I haven't fully thought about it until now, but I think it's just a certain personality that's often assigned to men that yeah. that we think of that has kind of created that that idea. I, I think there's an additional currency, at least in my weird warped world, that the ability to quote lines from movies that are so off the beaten path, they they're they're worth extra. Like I can quote Taylor Negron from the Whoopi boys. Your friends are loud, lewd, coarse sportsmen. I've been penalized. I don't know how many people can quote the Whoopi boys or, or who can quote 10 lines from Taylor, but you know, it's there's, there's an additional currency. It's like, it's worth more to be able, I'm I'm not going to give you any top gun lines. I'm going to give you lines from second sight or from where the Buffalo roam. Or uh, I'm trying to think of something else. Yeah, yeah. There's a it, yeah. there's a flex, um, but I, I mean it's but but and I think that that flex is it's unnecessary, right? Like, what's the what is the point? Like, are you trying to impress somebody with this? Are you trying to impress yourself? But on another level, I think there's something sweeter happening where you know you would love to find someone who also connects with that yes. movie. You're, it's like you're throwing out a a riddle and you want someone else to solve it and say, I know exactly what movie you're talking mm-hmm. about. You're talking about the Whoopi Boys, which mm-hmm. I have now set a record mm-hmm. for saying that movie title in a podcast that will never <laughs> be broken because nobody ever talks about that movie. But um, I, I have it on DVD. That's how pathetic I am. Wow. But, uh, uh, speaking of Taylor, well, you, you knew him, right? Yes, I dedicated the book to wow. Taylor Negron. 
Um, we met, I interviewed him uh, and we maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago or longer than that, maybe. And uh, we hit it off immediately. Uh, he was, for those of you who maybe don't know him by name, but maybe by face, I mean, just Google him. He played uh, the pizza delivery man in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He played Julio, the son, Rodney Dangerfield's son-in-law in Easy Money. He was the comic in Punchline who had this bit about going to an Iranian <laughs> rug store and asking for an Ariarag. It's <laughs> my favorite. Uh, he also is an excellent villain in um, this Joel Silver production in the early 90s, The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. He plays sort of the number two heavy uh, named Milo. He, um, But overall kind of known as this comic actor. And um, I mean, I think he 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 recognized my sincere love for him and as Julio like that with easy money with Roddy Dangerfield and Joe Pesci was another one of those movies that my brother and I just watched repeatedly. And it is so funny. Um, and it's really specific toward I mean, it is a movie that is a farcical about 1983 Staten Island and this sort of drunkard you know, pothead Rodney, who whose, you know, daughter is getting married. It's all these sort of like sitcom episodic things that happen to him. Uh, and and uh, I don't know where I'm going with this other than I think I guess Taylor recognized my sincerity and we just kind of hit it off. And um, he lived in New York for like a good amount of the last few years of his life. And he, he died of uh liver cancer in 2014 i believe and when i was putting this book together for the last three years there was just a, a point where i remember feeling like i want people to remember him and i you know and, and that was the that was the impetus for the dedication are there actors you think and i i think i know the answer to this but i'm I'd be curious uh if you are able to narrow it down to the 80s some actors that are more mm. that are just more quotable than others i know um, Al Pacino is one of the ones you point out in the book, and especially for having such a diverse collection of quotes over numerous decades, you know, from from The Godfather mm -hmm. to to uh, Scarface and beyond. Well, it's his shouting. It's his, it's the <laughs> shoutiness of him. Right. That's really what we're. That's when he's shouting, <laughs> right? Like I got to work on my Pacino. Like that's what we think of. We think of the volume turning up. We don't. It's not necessarily. You know any other yeah. delivery from him? Who, who? I mean, look, Arnold is probably. Uh, you know, I realize that somewhat a boring answer for someone who's running an '80s podcast, but I, I'd probably say it's not a Tuma at least once a month. Right, right, totally. I mean, you you can't go wrong with Arnold. Um, but you know what else sticks? I mean, Bill Murray. I would think to some degree, at least in the '80s. Probably, yeah. Maybe not so much afterwards. Although afterwards, you still have mm -hmm. Groundhog's Day. Uh, Chevy Chase and Fletch. Probably, I would think. Right, right. I, w I was going to say like John Candy and Planes, yeah. Trains. You know, uh, you know, those just sort of. But those movies again, I, I think it just goes back to where we all were, not just as kids, but where we all were in the culture and how central those movies were to us. Here at the Stuck in the 80s, we always like to think of the podcast as a time machine. And because of this, um, because we're the hosts of the podcast Time Machine, I can grant you a seat on this vehicle to go back in time 
and either relive a moment, witness a moment you missed, or change a moment in your life, what would you do with your seat oh on the God. podcast time machine? There are a couple of the girlfriends that I wish I didn't blow off. <laughs> That's what first <laughs> comes to mind, you know. Uh, I just remember, I mean, and it wasn't that long ago. It was, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. I think I was just, I don't know if I was angry at the world so much as angry at myself and just wanted to, I needed to prove myself to myself. And that's when I kind of, I was insecure. I sat down and that's when the book writing happened. It's pretty true. Uh, and I remember just feeling like I didn't have the space to have a companion. And uh, I do look back on that. And I have a little regret that there were some great, there were some great women in my life. And I just, uh, just, just threw it away. That's a really depressing note to end on, but it's honest. <laughs> Brian, thanks for, so much for being on the podcast. Uh, can't recommend your book enough. Uh, it's one of those ones that I'm going to keep handy and, and turn and open up to uh, quite frequently. Thank you so much. There you go. Brian Abrams. Great chat. Yeah, I really enjoyed the side conversation about Taylor Negron and why the book is dedicated to him. Mm. I had to actually go and rent the Whoopi Boys on streaming just so I could get that one clip that I love so much. I've been penalized. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. It's weird that the lines that gravitate to you decades later. I Yeah. I, I it's a stupid movie, Whoopi Boys, and I think the only reason that it it still sticks with me these days. I was it was in college when that movie came out and I was living in an apartment. Like the first time I was not in a dorm, I wasn't in a fraternity house, I was in an apartment. And I had two mm -hmm. roommates and we had one of those cable connections that with the little buttons on it and if you pressed them like halfway, you could yeah, tune in. Get a little Yeah. So we were able to press it halfway enough to to get to HBO or Showtime and so we were able to see The Whoopi Boys is the one movie I remember and so it is stuck with me all those years but I'm glad you appreciate this stuff about Taylor because I know that's important to him I love that actor we miss him he has so many just amazing where he just shows up I'm like oh hey I, that guy I know that guy but my all-time favorite since this is a show about movie lines my all-time favorite is what's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this? And the way he delivers the word smut is just like, oh, it's so good. It's so good. And it's just like the, oh, the throwing the mail in the street and he's got the headphones on. He's listening to Jimi Hendrix walking down the street. Bet. In beautiful Glendale, that house is about a mile from my office. Jeez. I I think Better Off Dead is, is easily one of those, uh, you know, underdogs for most quotable movie of the decade. Yeah. Yeah. And an early, like an early movie rental favorite, like people discovered on, on video cassette from guys like you, they were like, oh no, we're out of Back to the Future, <laughs> but we've got this other one that you might enjoy. You know, I could always blow people's minds with the, I saw this in the theater. No. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Uh, in case you're interested in learning more about Brian and his book, check out his personal website. It's brianlabrams.com. You can also find you talking to me at amazon.com. Hey, it's fall, buy a copy for a gift. You will not regret it. There is something we might regret, though, Mr. Spearsy, sir. The, the Seggies. Prepare to qualify. Hey, 
it's time for Stuck in the Arcade. We will play a snippet of an arcade sound from the 80s sound effect. <laughs> what? Noise. Uh, and uh, if you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for the postal-friendly bottle opener, which I, got, I need to have an update from you. You've been gone for a while. We're going to talk about your vacation here after the commercial break, but... You know, are you ready to, to go? I, to the- I got some catch up to do here, <laughs> but I got it all. It's all right here. It's all right okay. here. Got a room full of computers right here. You want to see? Sounds it. good. Sounds good. Can't wait. Uh, the last time we did this, episode 675, here was the arcade game. Yep, that's Afterburner. Wow, you're going deep. I, I guess. I mean, this is the kind of thing that led us to think about axing this Seggy because it's just hard to find stuff that people recognize sometimes. Yeah, I, I had to go real obvious, I think, for the last one. the This is the one that cost extra, right? This one cost like double. The- it was, yeah, it was like a moving console. And it was pretty. It was a pretty cool thing. I don't. I don't think I ever played it because it was late. It was late eighties. Again, I'm trying to get out of like the Steve Spears, Brad Williams arcade spin cycle and like move into the broader environment of the decade which we celebrate with such energy and love and so i went later in the decade with this like i did the last time um, but we did as a result we did not get a lot of arcade nerds can we call them that take a deep breath and read the winners are you ready sure winners this week are don't just include this is them this is an exhaustive list of winners steven it's taken me more time to explain that than it will to read the winners Jeff in Utah, and Jeremy, who shot J.R. Rockwell, ah. who writes, ah. I really spent too much time in the arcades in the 80s. This episode's clip is from Afterburner. Fire, fire. <laughs> I remember this was one of the first moving cabinets I played consistently that took two quarters to play. That's 50 cents, boys and girls. Other than the quarter-eating hog of Dragon's Lair, which we've talked about recently, because I used a clip from that not too long ago. Too tricky, Steve? Was that too tricky? Uh, I don't know. I the, the trouble with arcade games is it's so hard to music you can re-listen to, movies you can rewatch. It's hard to go and find an active cabinet of Afterburner. Yeah, they have to really have kind of burrowed into your psyche. Yes, I mean I have a video game console behind me but it doesn't have afterburner on it obviously no because to turn your room upside down that'd be sick that would be cool though Uh, (laughs) anyway that's cool what Uh, are we gonna do play uh, rock paper scissors to see who gets the uh uh, let's do it you ready ready? rochambeau ah jeff in utah Uh, you're this week's winner okay uh, save me the spin thanks jeff but send us the send us the bottle opener, or send us your address, and we'll send you the bottle opener. For those who are wondering, Brad and I actually did on video just then <laughs> do rock paper scissors. Oh yes, and this is something we ran into on the cruise a couple years ago. I call it Rochambeau, which apparently is a West Coast thing. Yes. Anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery arcade sound. If you know it. Email us at podcast at sit80s.com. I like the delivery there, Steve. It feels like you're focused again. <laughs> right up until the point where you start talking to yourself. Beep, beep, boop, beep, boop. And tune in in about a month. Find out if you're a winner. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. 
Ah, the, the return of take this job and shove it. Really, really, every time you hear this, you should just know that it's not good news for me. <laughs> the, the, the job hunt continues, and um, you guys have been great about sending in your letters of <laughs> job turmoil, uh, mental anguish. <laughs> Again, feeding the emotional vampires that are Steve Spears and Brad Yeah, I, I'm... Uh, I think I need your pain. <laughs> I do in a way. It's weird. I think the last time we were we we had the segi, I said something about it. it had been ten days since my last round of interviews, and I hadn't heard anything. Well, now it's been twenty days, and I still haven't heard anything. Uh, so that's sweet Jesus. Yeah, that's pretty much. I'm gonna write that off. Um, <laughs> my my current plan. I haven't even told this to to Brad yet. <clears throat> gonna try to make a go of it as a full-time freelancer at least for now oh okay and um so i will you will, you might see more of an effort on stuck in the 80s or sit80s.com you might um you might just trying to raise profile a little bit yeah and you might yeah. you might get an invite from me to to follow a website called central florida travel and life which is a site i'm trying to build right now Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, that's what that was. Because I like I got some Instagram requests and I'm like, sorry, don't know you never mentioned real life. <laughs> that's, that's me. So that's fine. Yeah. I I'm I'm a tough I'm a tough follow on social media. I'm sorry, there's listeners. No, I just am. There's no reason that you would need to follow that. If you have a question about Orlando, you can just ask me and I will give you the answer. Well, I I'm just saying in general, I don't <laughs> so. I don't accept invites from people I haven't met in person. Sure. Uh but in the meantime, Johnny G sent in a nice letter and uh really meant a lot to me. And so I'll let Brad read this one. Steve wanted to hear me read it, I think is what happened. So I'm going to try and read this with the minimum of editorializing. I know I can do that sometimes. It's not a great look. So we're just going to read this one. I'm going to give it to you straight because Johnny G spins a yarn here. You ready? Let's go. Got a cocktail? No. Maybe some chips? (laughs) Glass of water for your throat? Here we go. A little sip and we're off. Hey, guys. I felt compelled to reach out to you to let you know just how meaningful your show is to me. Just a warning, this email will be lengthy, but I hope you will have time to read it until the end, as I want to share the ways in which your show helped me during a very difficult time of my life. Right now. I've been faithfully listening to your show for a number of years now. Many times, your show has made me laugh, made me cry during the episodes where we all said goodbye to some of our 80s heroes who are no longer with us, and has lifted me up for some pretty depressing times without fail. Currently, I am going through one of the most depressing times of my life, and listening to your show just now helped me tremendously. Let me explain. I've been with a company for 15 years as of September. September now, so there you go. Late last year, I accepted an offer to transfer to a different department after the director expressed that she was impressed by my work. I gladly accepted the job offer, which included a pretty significant raise. My wife and I were finally able to buy a house across town to be closer to our three sons and their families. I dove into the work related to my new job, and things seemed to be going smoothly. When it was time for my performance review, I was unpleasantly surprised to discover that she'd given me a does-not-meet-expectations rating. I was shocked because throughout my entire working life, I'd never received anything other than exceeds-expectations ratings. The problem, however, was that this director had placed data analysis and manipulation duty in my description. I shared that this new duty was difficult for me due to a clinically diagnosed learning disability. I applied for an accommodation through HR, and it was granted. My director was not pleased with this, however, and continued to meet with me on a weekly basis to inform me of how she felt I was not measuring up. 
Well, that sounds like a picnic, my friend. I'm sorry about that. It continued to the point where I sank into a deep depression and lost many nights of sleep. Finally, it got to the point where the depression became far too intense, and I began to look for other employment within the company. Unfortunately, due to a merger, many of the positions had been frozen. The only thing that I could find was a part-time position. Thankfully, the hiring manager looked past my recent misfortune and saw all my previous job reviews. I took the job, even though it paid far less, because I wanted to stick with the company that I had been employed with for the past 15 years so that I could keep the same benefits and pension. I took a week off for some self-care and found something therapeutic about woodworking. So I went to the garage to build a three-guitar stand for my 28-year-old son. Anytime I'm in the garage woodworking, it's common that I have Stuck in the 80s podcast playing in the background. As always, your show made me feel better, and it was like a cool wave washing over me. Today, however, some of the older episodes started to autoplay, and it went to episode 672. In that episode, Spearsy lamented about being laid off from his job. I stopped my woodworking and listened as Spearsy so bravely shared the difficult emotions that came with being let go from his job. One fellow 80s lover to another, it felt as if this could not have been better timing. I hate that Spearsy had to go through the disappointment that came with the job loss, but to hear him share the raw emotions made me feel less alone. I'm trying to feel better, and your show has helped me leaps and bounds. I know that this email is way more than you were expecting, but again, I wanted you to know that the seemingly lighthearted show that you continue to produce is something that people look forward to for very valid reasons. One of those reasons is that it provides a total oasis for people like me when it seems like the world around is crumbling and there are more questions than answers. Stuck in the 80s gives me a chance to step away from the many questions and feel like I'm hanging out with a couple of friends revisiting the 80s. My apologies for the length and the heavy topics of this email, but I hope that stories like this will let you know that you guys are awesome in more ways than you probably know. Please keep up with this amazing show as long as you feel the drive to do so. You guys are freaking awesome, and I will always tune in for as long as you want to keep it going. Just like you guys, I will remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Signed, Johnny G. Dang, that's a heck of a letter. I've probably read this letter 12 times. Um, means a lot to me, Johnny. Uh, I think there are times, I think when, when for both me and Brad, where we're we struggle to find the time to devote to the show and we, you know, we make it work and we, we put something out and we're, we're just, I'm, I'm glad it, it resonates. So. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, you could, but your tongue is tired after reading that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, there's no, some no, truth it's there a good, too. It's a good story. And uh, I, I, I feel for you, buddy. I, same exact thing has happened to me where I got a a horrible review after after nothing but a career of great reviews and it's it's the worst punch in the stomach you can ever get or you know as a in your job anyway I'm sure there's yeah I mean uh, you don't see that coming and it's like where, where's I still that know from? the name of the person who gave it to me I still know what what I was wearing that day I, uh, stuck in the eighties in a way saved me. Um, because I started the podcast working for that manager. And I think the success that the podcast had was sort of a vindication that my instincts at work were more dead on than she would have thought or had led me to believe. So, oh, so second in a way, in a way saved my job. So, 
saved you, now it's saving other people. <laughs> we love your letters. Uh, don't forget to send them to podcast at sit80s.com. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Introducing the Rhinestone and Stud Center. It changes everyday clothing into exciting fashions. Simply mark your material, insert a stud or rhinestone, and push gently. It works so easily that anyone can stylize jeans, jackets, pants. On leather, it's sensational. The Rhinestone and Stud Center by Ronco. Over a million sold at $9.98. This Christmas, you save over $2. It's only $7.77. The perfect Christmas gift available at these stores. And we're back. And so is Brad. It seems like he's been gone for a month. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Basically, I have been. Do tell. Uh, I, you know what? Look, if you can swing a, if you can swing a three-week vacation, do it. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, it was born of maybe not the best circumstances. Well, no, clearly not the best circumstances. My, you know, my mother-in-law passed away about a year and a half ago now, and... Prior to that, for about two years, Katie had been very much involved in not necessarily day-to-day, but very frequently spending time with her mom and helping her get to appointments and helping take care of her. And, you know, that's what she should be doing. I can't begrudge that in any way, shape, or form. But when she did pass away, you know, Katie's like, look, we need to get back on the travel travel train here and you need to take me on a nice big long vacation. I'm like, well, let me see how much time I'll have off by next fall. So we ended up going to Sweden and Norway for about three weeks, and it was fantastic. Uh, just the, the everyone, look, first off, everyone speaks English, so you don't feel like, uh, how do I say, do not shove the shoe covered in cheese down my throat, I'll slice it myself. You know, don't have to worry about that. Uh, very friendly. Uh, countries are beautiful, just stupid beautiful. Um uh, and we had a great time. It was just nice to just check stuff out. And, you know, we did some kayaking one day and we just kind of wandered around, checked out cities. In Oslo, we rented e bikes and rode around. And, you know, if anybody wants my itinerary, I'd be happy to share you that, share the outline with you. But it was really fun. We had a really good time. Uh, and it was nice to just get away from the, get away from the details of, of daily life. Uh, this last podcast, I was just telling Chuck about how you were plastering Europe with stuck in the 80s stickers. Did, Am I ex- over-exaggerating? Plastering might be a bit strong, but I, you know, I realize that I have those stickers with me pretty much everywhere I go. So I put some up. I think we put one in, maybe not in Oslo. Maybe we did some in Oslo to start with. Definitely in Bergen. Definitely in a couple of the towns we stopped in on the boat we were on for a couple of days. Uh, a couple in Amsterdam on the way home. I had to trade show to go to an Amsterdam. Oh, poor Brad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just having a good time sticking them up. And on the Patreon page, I would try and post pictures like, hey, I posted a, posted one here today. And like, who knows how long they last. doesn't really matter. Uh, well, it was, fun to, it was fun to keep up with you. I'm glad you were able to post the updates on the Patreon account. Again, um, if you, if you ever want to support the podcast, now's a great time to do it. Just go to patreon.com slash stuck in the eighties podcast and you can join for as little as two dollars a month or twenty a year. Probably even less. I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> but but it really means a lot to us and we get invited to VIP happy hours and virtual drive in theaters. You get our, our exclusive blog. Um it just it helps us uh with the day-to-day cost of doing the podcast. But um, it's just great to have you back. You have some catching up to do. I've got a lot of interviews that I've done while you were gone. 
I know. I'm listening to the old shows. I listened to the show that we recorded right before I left. I'm like, <laughs> I don't remember this at Is all. That, it was a summer show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're like in the middle of fall now. It is good to be back. It's good to be back, but you know the work is still here, and the project team did just fine without me. No surprise. So you know, don't don't get yourself into a place, gentle listeners, where you think I'm so indispensable to this. The project won't go on without me. Just take the time. Everyone will be happier. Well, I hope you're happy with this show. Again, uh, follow Brian at brianlabrams.com. He has links to his new book and all his other books. I'm kind of interested to check out the uh, the oral history of Die Hard. I think that could be interesting as well. Come out to the coast. We'll have some I'd laughs. I'd love to do that, Brad. Uh, but in the meantime, Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. It's good to be together.